Our kids can head back to have an awesome time in Transformation Station. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 5 today for using one of the Bibles we provide for you. It's page 978. I'd just like to echo Pastor John's uh, statements and uh, appreciation for moms. Um, I am a father of three little girls. Our youngest turn, turns one today. So, uh, yeah, it's George. She's sick, too, so it's not good. But it's awesome that she's one. And, uh, and uh, listen, I, I, I know because uh, there are times when, as a dad, I, I have the awesome privilege of getting uh, trapped in our house with all three of them when Marsha's gone. And so I just know that being a mom is really, really, really difficult. You know, it's like making dinner and trying to like keep things in order and putting them to bed and caring for them and teaching them and a host of other things. Um, motherhood can be extremely challenging. So thank you for the sacrifices, the investments uh, that you make as mothers. And, and I just also want to echo the, the statements from, from Pastor Reddy. You know, I know this can be a difficult day for some. And uh, what, for, if, if, if today is challenging you, uh, for you for whatever reason, know that we as pastors and we as a church, we care and we want to know. We, we would love to pray for you. Even if you just jotted it down on the back of our Connect card today just to request prayer, um, we, we would love to do that. Um, you know, Marcia and I experienced mis miscarriage during our first pregnancy uh, many years ago. And, and so we know uh, how difficult um, it can be on a day like today. Um, so I just want to pause and just pray, pray for, for moms, thank God for you, and, uh, and then also just ask God to, to uh, bless us as we enter into a time in his words. So let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, you are good and you do good. Part of your goodness to us is giving us parents, Lord, mothers who cherish and, and nurture us, who, who care for us, who are there when we're sick, and who bring that calming influence when life is kind of crazy, and and so, Lord, I, I just pray that uh, for, for, for all mothers here today, Lord, that you would remind them of how awesome they are, what, what, a, what a magnificent job they do, just laying down their own desires day by day to give themselves away for the sake of their children. Um, God, we, we, uh, we just honor them today as, as you give them the strength to do uh, their job and uh, Lord, I also just pray for all, 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 all women here today. God, meet, meet, meet them where they are in their time of, of need. And, and God, uh, would, you, would you speak to all of us today from your word? Lord, we all need, need I need the life-giving truth that comes from your word. So God, would you kind of tap us on the shoulder where, when, when and where we need to be tapped? Show us um, how you want us to respond to this good news of Christ and this new life that he invites us to live. Lord, our lives are to be for your glory. Well, Lord, we want to point to how great you are. So God, help us to, to do so even as we study this good truth today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, many of you know that Paris is one of the most prestigious cities in the world. It is one of the most uh, visited cities in the world. And when I was in college, I had the rare privilege of going with my family to Europe, and we made a three-day uh, kind of pit stop in Paris. And so it was, it was an awesome opportunity to kind of uh, drink in the culture of Paris and 
hear a lot of words that I didn't understand and, and experience new food and, and all of these sites and same. You may have heard that there are a couple of nice cathedrals there, um, pretty, pretty nice museum. Maybe you've heard of the Louvre. Apparently, there's a lady there named Mona that a lot of people like to go uh, see. And so uh, it's just an awesome city. The Eiffel Tower is, is simply breathtaking. And, and then even you can kind of see off, I believe, to the right there uh, is the Arc de Triomphe. It was my favorite spot, this beautiful arch that, that is in a, a hub of, of the city, and, and it's where they honor their, their military victories, and, 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 and you can go up into the, the Arc where they have all the laurel wreaths and just see the symbols of victory. You know, I had to get my, my Rocky Balboa pose, you know, in front of all those, you know, wreaths just, just so that, you know... I could feel great, you know, feel, feel victorious. Um, but but it, is, it is an amazing city. Um, you may not know that, but you can see from this picture that Paris is known as the city of light. Look at these lights. I mean, the, the tower, the, the ark, this awesome building over here that I couldn't figure out what it is on the internet last night. Okay, um, there, there is all lit up. The streets are lit up. Man, it is, it is a beautiful city. It is the city of light. But did you also know that Paris is the city of love? I mean, you can just go ask Cody G over here, right? Cody was doing some, some uh, you know, undergrad, grad work. It was grad work at the time. Is that right? Um, masters. And, uh, and, and he, was in, he was in the city of love, and, and he met his uh, wonderful Parisian lady, who now is his wife, Julie, all right? So this is, this is evidence that Paris is the city, not only of light, but also the city of love. Now, listen, Boston, Boston is a cool city. <laughs> we agree about that. Thank you. All right. But Boston does not carry this double distinction of being the city of light and the city of love. But wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be spectacular if not just our city, but our lives, our church was known as a city of of light, a city of of love. This is what Paul is introducing in this passage. He's going to continue to talk about what it looks like to know Christ and to live for Christ. And he's going to say that, that our lives should be marked by love and by light. So moms, if you're, if you're a mom here today, listen, you could hear no greater word than to, to, to hear that God wants your life to be characterized by love and light as you seek to be a mother to your child or children. Fathers, I mean, we, 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 we all need to hear this. No matter what our station in life is, I want us to see that the highest privilege and responsibility of uh, people is to reflect God. And we reflect him, Paul's going to tell us, by living a life of love and living a life of light. So let's first take care of uh, this, this first exhortation that we see in Ephesians 5, live a life of love. Look at verses 1 and 2 where Paul begins, and he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So verse one, we have this this, uh, encouragement to be imitators of God. What we see in God, his character, his thoughts, his affections, his desires, his actions, we are to, to seek to imitate those things, copy those things in the way that we live our lives. Like dependent children who uh, mimic their parents as they show them the way to live, we are to be dependent on our Heavenly Father and we are to imitate Him in all things. Similarly, verse 2 goes on and it says, Walk in love. So if you say, like, How do I imitate God? To imitate God is to walk in love. Just put like an equal sign between verse 1 and verse 2. To, to imitate God, if you want to know you're imitating God, just see if you're living a life of love. And the supreme example of love, as you know, is to look to the cross of Christ. Jesus walked in love. And what is, what is love? Isn't love difficult to define? If someone asked you to define love, how would you like, like give, give, you, give you five words, give you 10 words, give you 500 words? Like how would you define love? Isn't love giving ourself away for the good of someone else? Isn't it seeking the highest good of someone else? Isn't this what Jesus did on the cross? Love is putting someone else before ourselves and seeking their good. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He voluntarily handed over his life as a pleasing aroma to God because it was in the cross that his death that satisfied God's judgment, God's justice, displayed God's love, and accomplished God's salvation. And so we are to walk in love because this is why we were created and recreated in Christ. I mean, just think about this. We can, we can view our whole world through the lens of love, all right? The whole story of the Bible is a story of love, all right? Number one, we see that in love, God created us to enjoy his love. So people, people think like, you know, Christianity and going like, if I go to a church, man, I'm just gonna be getting religious. Okay, that's not what it's ever about. It's never, it's never been about that and never will be about that. It's about a relationship with God. God created us for a loving relationship, just like you hope to enjoy with your children or with your family or with your friends. We, we desire a loving relationship because that's who God is. He's always existed in loving relationship. I don't have time to get into Trinitarian theology, but God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And he has always existed in loving relationship. And the essence of God is to pour out his love to another. That's why he created us in the first place. The creation of the world was an overflow of the love of God. But we have rejected his love for lesser loves. We're going to see some of these lesser loves in a moment, but, but we exchange the love of God, and we say, you know what, man, this is kind of nice, but I need something else. I need something more. I'm going to find my identity and, 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 and my hope and my um, you know, security in these other things in life. We still do this today. We reject his love for lesser loves, but God, this is the gospel, God, out of his great love, sent Jesus to rescue us through this sacrificial death that was an offering and sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. So that for everyone who looks to the cross and what Christ has done for us, now we are forever restored to his perfect love. We are recreated in Christ, a new creation, and can live now this life of love that God designed in the very beginning, a love for God and a love 
for those around us. Now, you have to understand verses one and two if you're gonna begin to understand verses three through six. Three through six are verses that, you know, we just kind of want to read through. You know, we don't want to deal with them ourselves because they expose where we are, and we don't want to deal with them because, you know, they're not very popular in our culture. Say, these things are wrong, and we shouldn't do certain things because they don't, they don't reflect the design of God's love for us as his creation. But we have to understand, this is the backdrop. What we see in verses three through six is conduct that is antithetical. It's the opposite of God's love. Verse two and the following verses are, are diametrically opposed, okay? You have the selfless love of God and then the selfish gratification of man, on the other hand, deviating from the loving plan of God. And so what I want to, to, to post to you is this. Listen, and, and, and this will kind of guide our thinking on verses three through six. If you ever want to know if an action or a thought or a desire is, is pleasing uh, uh, to God, or, or let's just say is right in that moment, then just ask a twofold question. Number one, will this imitate God? And number two, will this reflect the cross of Christ? Isn't that, isn't that simple? First two verses here, be imitators. They're like, will this imitate God? Will this reflect the cross of Christ? So I want to show you how these, these different, we could call them vices, if you will, these, these, these ways where we deviate from God's will, sin in our life. I want to show you how they fail to imitate God in every case, all right? Uh, so let's read verses uh, three through six. Here we go. It says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Everyone loves verses one and two. Not everyone loves verses three through six, but, but this is in the context of imitating God and his glory and the design that he has for us in the beginning and then, and then walking in love, imitating that love. So what we see in three through six is antithetical to that love. How so? Let's, let's just look at this. How does it fail to imitate God? Number one, sexual immorality fails to imitate the faithfulness of God. I don't think I have to explain to you that we are sexual beings and we all have sexual desires. I, I don't think I would have a conversation with any of you and ask, do you have sexual desires? And anyone's gonna tell me in the room, no, I never had a sexual desire, okay? We are, we, this is who God has made us to be. And God clearly says in his word that those sexual desires are to be fulfilled in the context of heterosexual marriage. And so this Greek word porneia, this translated here sexual immorality, it refers to a host throughout the New Testament, a host of, of different sexually immoral acts, adultery, prostitution, fornication, homosexuality. And so uh, what we then uh, see here is that Paul's culture was much like our own where sexual immorality was rampant. There was, there was not a, a moral code that was saying, look, God created us for covenant relationship, not consumeristic desire. 
Let me say that again. Covenant faithful relationship, just like he is a covenant God who is faithful to us. He made us for commitment, not just to please ourselves in whatever way that we choose, like consumers do when we just go to the store and get whatever we desire and want. And so listen, I, I understand uh, technology these days makes sexual gratification accessible to us 24-7. Anytime we want to fulfill a sexual desire, it is at our fingertips. And so what we need is encouragement. We need reminders. We need to not skip over verses like these when we come to them in the Bible. We all struggle from time to time with a lustful look or something maybe far worse than that. And so we need accountability. We need these reminders to keep our head down, to stay focused, to not, to not seek to fulfill those 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 desires when they creep up in our hearts, but to submit them to God. One translation says, um, don't even let a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed be named among you or be found in your heart. So we wanna do away with sexual immorality. Uh, Closely related to that, we are to also put off impurity and filth. And why is that? Well, I think it's because impurity and filth fail to imitate the holiness of God. Proverbs 20, verse 9, I think you'll agree with this. Uh, It says this, who can say, I have made my way pure, that that I am clean from my sin? Can Can anyone say that? Can anyone stand here and say, man, I'm perfect? I've got it all together. I've never, I've never, I've never, I've never slipped up. I've never stumbled. I've never had an impure thought. I've never uh, committed an impure action. I mean, no one, no one can say that. And so we need God's grace to, to, to forgive us, number one, but then to fill us with resolve to walk in God's ways. I mean, there is constant temptation. There is the temptation for us to compromise our purity and then to get stains on our life. And it's like, it's like taking our cell phone, and maybe it's a new cell phone, and getting a scratch on it. I mean, it's just, it's tainted, right? We don't, we don't want that. We don't want a dent in our new car, or maybe our old car. I mean, a, so, so we, want, we want to maintain purity in our lives. Listen, uh, Marsha got, Marcia got sick this week. Aw, wasn't good. She had the stomach bug on Tuesday. And so because she couldn't keep fluids down, we actually had to go to the emergency room to get her a couple of bags of fluids. So she's, she's good. She's better now. These things happen, right? You've probably been there, many of you. Um, but, but so we're in the emergency room. Okay, I won't name the hospital. And, and we have this comforting, not annoying, for our viewing pleasure, 35 minutes of TMZ. Yeah, yeah, okay? Like, okay, just so you know, if, you, if, you're, if, if you're new to Redemption, okay, we're not legalists, okay? We're not, like, say, trying to make rules that God doesn't make, all right? So I'm not, like, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians in the culture, okay? But, but like, can, can we just turn off the, the, the TMZ? Can we just kind of, like, turn that off? I mean, num- number one, who cares what Bieber did last weekend? Anybody still care about that? <laughs> hey, man, if you do, I'm thankful that you didn't put your hand up, all right? So, uh <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, number num, number number two. I'm gonna lose it. All right, number this is serious. Number two, r- really, 
I would say, this is just a guess, all right? I wasn't keeping score. I was trying to care for Marsha and, you know, do my thing as a husband. But I would say, just this is pretty safe, 70 to 80% of what was talked about was nothing but a glorification of verses three and four. It really was. I mean, blatant. Just, just absolutely blatant. I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I don't watch a ton of TV these days, but I'm thinking like, my daughters are gonna grow up and this is the dinnertime uh, content on just national TV? What a shame. Can we not do better than this? I'm not saying don't own a TV. I'm not saying cut your cable. I'm just saying, like, let's evaluate what we're allowing into our minds. Filthiness and impurity do not reflect the holiness of God. God is completely set apart in his moral perfections. And so to imitate, uh, to entertain impurity or filth is to undercut our love for him. Number three, covetousness. Covetousness fails to imitate the generosity of God. What does it mean to covet? It means to want something that doesn't belong to us. Some translations you may see in your Bible there, it'll say greedy. They're, they're greedy to practice all of these different impurities. And so we desire what does not belong to us. And oftentimes, remember verse 3 is primarily referring to sexual sin. We desire even another person's body for our own selfish gratification. I want to just get real, real blunt, and I just want to, I just want to encourage, okay, I've, I've been there. I haven't, I haven't lived a perfectly sexually pure life. No way, not even close. So God's grace has changed me and continues to change me and helps me to fight sin in my life day by day, okay? So I don't, I don't stand here as better than you if you're struggling with this right now, but I want you to think about this. When, when we covet another person's body, just for the sake of our own pleasure, I would say it's worse than object, objectification. I mean, it's very similar to this, but I want you to kind of ratchet that up a notch by thinking about this. If you're objectifying a person only for their body, what are you doing in that moment? I'm just saying in that moment. You're essentially desouling that person. They're only a body. They only exist for my physical gratification. Forget that they are made in the image of God, that they have dignity before God. Forget that this person may be my brother and sister in Christ or a potential brother and sister in Christ. Forget that this is someone's daughter, this is maybe someone's wife or husband. This is serious. Sexual immorality is, is, is a serious sin. We need to confront it head on. We live in a culture that just winks at, at sexual morality. It's no big deal. Do whatever you please. Fulfill your, your, your desires and joke about it. Make light of it. When we desire what does not belong to us, what we're saying is, God, your good gifts are not enough. Your generosity is not good enough. God, God delights to give his children good gifts. And so we, 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 we look to God and, and we, we trust in his timing and in his ways and we're content with what he gives us. That, that is what we are called to do. Not, not to go after that which does not belong to us because that certainly fails to imitate the generosity of God. Then number four, and we touched on this already, a sinful speech, it fails to imitate the wisdom of God. A dirty mind and a dirty heart leads to dirty talk. Obscene language. Jokes that are off color. Senseless talk that tears others down. We must get 
rid of it. And this is not to say that, that Christians shouldn't uh, laugh and, and enjoy some good, clean humor, all right? Christians should, should laugh, I think, more than any other people under the sun. God, God made us to laugh, to enjoy that. It lifts our spirits, right? But, but, but we should cut out all talk that, that, that does not honor him, that brings others down, that promotes these, these other uh, things that we see here in these verses. And so, and so here, here's, here's, a, here's a, just this slipped in, in verse 4. Uh, it's almost like, why is this here? But instead, he's talking about all the sexual morality, impurity, greed, uh, coarse joking, foolish talk. And then he says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Have you ever thought about why that's there? What happens when we're thankful? When do you extend thanks to someone? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Thanksgiving going on today, right? I mean, hopefully, hey, listen, guys, if you haven't called your mom yet, I'm just saying, like, go ahead. I won't even be mad. Like, go ahead and get your phone out, put a reminder, okay? Like, we need to take care of, like, and when we, when we tell our mom we love, we love her and when we send her that card and when we give that gift, I mean, we, we hear words of gratitude, Right? When we receive the gift, when we receive a compliment, we hear the word, uh, grateful words, because what we're doing is we're recognizing that someone has given us something, and it's something probably that we did not deserve, right? I mean, we're, we're humbled by that. And so when we are grateful before God, we are recognizing his provision in all of life. And, and that is the, the complete opposite of selfish gratification for our own desire. Do you see that? And so I've just come to think of it like this. And meditating on these verses this week, I've never thought about it this way. But if you show me a grateful person, I will probably show you a godly person. Write that down. That's good. <laughs> we don't Bible thump. We need a Bible thump more, man. It's like, Sorry. A grateful person will probably be a godly person, right? We recognize what comes from God. We live with humility. We, we, we seek to honor him in all of our ways. Now, I gotta, I gotta speed up because there's more in verses five and six. Um, if, look, look, at, look with me again in verse five and six. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, so here's what Paul's saying. This is a warning. He's writing to Christians here, right? He's warning Christians to say, look, if, if your life begins to be characterized by your old ways, then you should be concerned if you were ever really in the faith to begin with. Maybe it was only lip service. Maybe you, maybe you didn't really commit to follow Christ and experience his salvation, because if your life is characterized by sexual immorality and impurity and filth and coarse joking, then, 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 then you should really evaluate where, whether or not you are in the faith and going to experience the kingdom of Christ. We should constantly evaluate our lives. This doesn't mean, okay, let me just be clear. This doesn't mean that, that we're not going to blow it from time to time. It doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble. But Christians always come back to Christ. We always seek his forgiveness. We always seek to, to, to change him. Now we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we put off the old person and put on the new person, right? This is what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And so, so, so don't, don't, don't miss this warning, though. 
Don't miss it for yourself and don't miss it for those that you care about. Um, those who live a life contrary to God, who practice that, who make it their, their, the, the characterization of their life to not glorify God with their life, they are in danger of, of a twofold danger. They're in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God in Christ, and they are in danger of experiencing his wrath and judgment. Now, once again, this is kind of, we, we just kind of want to take a detour around this doctrine, right? Wrath refers to God's intense hatred of all sin. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is what the empty talkers do. Like, God is love. Like, God of wrath is the Old Testament, but the God of love is the New Testament. Let's get on board with the God of the New Testament, Jesus. Jesus is like this kind of 70 hippies dude. They're like, man, everything's cool. Everything's okay, man. It's all right, bro. Do whatever you like. Like, didn't we talk about this? Like, Jesus turns over tables, sometimes righteous anger. He says in Matthew 5, like, it's not just like physical adultery. Like if you're thinking these things in your heart and desiring that you've already committed adultery. Why is it that we can get upset about what we perceive to be wrong, but, but God, God's not allowed to do, do that? God must, must have a hatred toward all sin because he is holy and pure. It would be, it would, I mean, don't we want a God who cares about justice? We want a God who cares for the orphans and the widows and who, who wants us to help the poor. We're, we're really cool with it when God cares about th th that kind of unrighteousness, but as long as it's not in, in our hearts, right? So this is a warning that God is just. He will execute his ju judgment. And, and think about it more positively here. If we could only glimpse even for a moment, of the purity of God, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the God who we cannot look at with our physical eye lest we be overwhelmed and overcome. If we could see how holy he is, we would be outraged when we see how we taint his glory and holiness with our grubby little hands and our grubby hearts. People want to balk at the, the, the just wrath of God and the judgment of God. But, but what, about, what about verse 6? What, I'm sorry, verse 5. We were talking about verse 6. What about verse 5? There is an inheritance for, for those who see the error of their ways, who, who, who are sorry that they've rejected the love of God and embraced the love of Christ so that they might experience this love now forever. Listen, the kingdom of Christ is held out to us. So like we're, we're upset, we're outraged that God is, is a just God. But, but what is really scandalous, what is really outrageous is that he would love us in spite of our sinfulness. That's what's crazy here. And so if you never received this gift, this gift of love, please accept this gift today. Receive the love and then walk in this love doing away with sexual morality, impurity, filth, all, all of this so that we can honor God with our lives. It's all about love. It really is. Even God's judgment is about love, and that's for a little bit more in another sermon. But let me just wrap up by saying this. Um, this should be a great incentive 
to seeking godliness, right? If, if, it, if it is these types of things that keep people from the kingdom of Christ, then, then surely we would not want to dabble in these matters. Let's pursue God by walking in love, living a life of love, and then, number two, living a life of light. Let me read verses seven through 14, and I'm gonna speed up because we gotta, we gotta bless some kids around here and some parents, all right? This is a big day today, all right? So I'm gonna try not to preach like a, you know, an hour sermon here. I'm gonna do my best. All right, um, verse seven. Therefore, do not become part- partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see that? Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And just try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God introduces this imagery of light because light illuminates, right? We wouldn't know where to go. We wouldn't know our path if God didn't give us light to see where he wants us to go. Light also attracts, right? That's why we're captivated by when we see this picture of Paris because it's, it's compelling. It draws us in. It catches our eye. And so in the Bible, light represents that which is true and righteous and pure, but darkness represents that which belongs to ignorance, error, and evil. So it's not surprising that in 1 John 1, 5, it says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfectly pure. He's perfectly true. He's perfectly right. He is light. And, and I just love this. Let me pause and say this. I love how last week we, we, we were given like this inescapable analogy of a wardrobe, right? Where Paul says, look, put off these things that don't look like Jesus. Put on these things that look like Jesus. I mean, you all got dressed today, right? Is anybody thinking about this analogy? And so once again, God uses these, these pictures, these metaphors that we just can't escape from. Every single day when we open our eyes and we get up out of bed, there is light to remind us of the life that God wants us to live. Isn't, isn't that kind of God to help us out in that way? Daily reminders for us. And so, so what, what kind of, what kind of um, life should we live as, as children of light? Okay, so let's just be clear. Number one, light describes believers. We, we once were not children of light, but now we have become children of light. Light now characterizes the way that we live our lives. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he says what? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so, so let me explain this. I love this, this picture. Can we look at the city of Paris? Let's talk about the city of God. Those who belong to Jesus, who have said, I'm following him with my life, now have a new fundamental identity and citizenship, okay? I love to live in the city of Boston, Medford to be specific, but I, I, I love Medford. I love Boston. I, I love this city. But, but my fundamental identity and allegiance is now to my citizenship with Christ. So I belong to the city of God. So, so we dwell in the city of man. We dwell in greater Boston. But as, as God's people, we are light in a, in a city that shines his light in this city of man. So this is why 
theologians, this, this uh, Catholic theologian in the fifth century, fourth, uh, Augustine would say, we are to be a city within a city. We are to shine the light of Christ as we live in the city. That's why I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on TV. I'm just saying, like, as we, as we engage the culture, we're not against the culture. There's some things that we can receive and enjoy in the culture and all kinds of things that we receive and enjoy, but we're not Christians of the culture because there's some, some things that we should most certainly reject in our world, so that means we're Christians in the culture. We're a city within a city. We live as the city of God while we live in the city of man. But then, but then as we do this, hopefully what we're doing is producing light. Light produces fruit. Look, look at verses eight again and, and following. He says, walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so we see this, the paths that are set before us and we weigh those out and we ask if this, is, if this is good or bad, if this is right or wrong, if this is true or false. And we seek to keep in step with that, that which is right and good and true. And then number three, sometimes there are times where we must expose darkness. And, and let me just say, sometimes this just happens. This just happens as we live our life as light. This just kind of happens, we could say, tacitly. It's, it's not stated, okay, we're not like coming into our workplace. Hey, man, what's wrong with you guys, man? You guys are lying on your reports, and we are, I'm a child of light, man. I'm telling the truth, okay? It's like, no, it's not, it's not what we, but, but we do what is right. And when we do what is right, when people see what is right, when, when we're not joining in with the course jo- joking and, you know, uh, checking out all the, the sexual, uh, you know, gratifying images, you know, that are around us, then, then what we're doing is we're saying, look, I'm, I'm a child of light. And it's a, kind of this tacit, unstated rebuke of, 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 of the way of darkness. But Paul very clearly also says, look, there are some times when we should take a stand and, and we should confront injustice and immorality. We do so not, not with pride, we do so with humility, but, but there are times when we need to say, you know what, I, I love you, but that's not right. I care about you. In fact, I care about you so much that when no one else is willing to, to say, I think that's wrong, I'm going to say, you know what, I think there's a better way here. Can we talk about that? Could I ask you about that? Can we dialogue and, and kind of understand one another a little better? Paul says that that light exposes darkness. But then finally, I want to spend a little bit of time here before we wrap up. Light reflects the life of God. In the Gospel of John, if you read the Gospel of John, you're going to find the word light just comes up again and again and again. When it introduces Jesus in the very beginning of chapter 1, it says in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is the light who enlightens every man. And and when, when God shines the light of Christ into our hearts, and we receive the good news of the gospel, then God changes us from the inside out, and he brings us into his light. He makes us children of light. And so just this week, a friend at Redemption Hill that has been coming for a few months since Super Bowl Sunday, they said, you know what? I see this path of light. I see that God loves me. I see that I've been created for the love of God and to live for the love of God, and so I'm in. What happened? God, God shone his light into his heart so he, he could see 
and his life could be forever changed. And now, now the crazy thing is for, for that person and for me and for you, if you're in Christ, now we are light and we are lesser lights that point to the greater light. You got that? That's what it means to glorify God, by the way. Why do we exist as a church? Redemption of the church exists to glorify God by living out his mission, his community. Like, what does that mean? Glorify God? What is it? It means radiate the radiance of God in our actions, in our thoughts, in our care and concern for real people every day of the week. That's what it means. So, so, so I'm not the light. I'm not the answer. I'm not someone's solution. I'll never be anybody's savior. But what I can do is, by God's grace, is I'm seeking to put off and put on however imperfectly. If you're looking for perfect pastors, right, go find another church. You'll keep searching forever. Right? There ain't one. But, but, but we're trying to show people the light of Christ. It's like a floodlight on a multi-million dollar mansion. Does anyone drive by and say, oh, you see that little $300 light in the yard? What a beautiful little, let's go examine that. No, it's a floodlight. It, it puts a spotlight on that which is truly beautiful and attractive, and that is our job as Christians. We just point to the greater light. We show people how great God is by how we live our lives. So this is what gets me so excited about verse 14. Like, underline verse 14, please. He says this, therefore, this may be an, an old hymn in the, in the early church. It definitely has overtones of Isaiah 26 and maybe 60-something. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is a picture of conversion and it may be a call to wake up from spiritual lethargy, spiritual indifference. Regardless, whatever the case, whether it's just speaking of, like reminding us of our conversion, or if it's saying, look, you're, you're a little spiritually tired and lazy and you need to wake up. Look, here's the point. We are alive now because of Christ. We're alive. We're, we're light. We're, we're, we're now walking in love as God has loved us. So this is what we said like uh, last month. Easter is not just about April 5th. God has made us alive, and now what characterizes our lives is life. Did you get that? <laughs> what characterizes our life is life. You need to tweet that, man. That's good right there. What characterizes our life is life. So when someone looks at your life, do they see life? Let me put this very practically. If, if someone were to spend a week with you, every single, like 24-7, just with you, would, would they be inspired toward Jesus? Would, would they be uplifted? Would they be, would they be motivated, encouraged? Would, you, would your joy rub off on them? Would your peace in the midst of what should make you anxious, would that maybe uh, translate to them and say, wow, look, look at this. Look at, look at this life in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial and challenge. This, this person seems to have something that is compelling and that I want that. Listen, this is the kind of lives that we should want to live for the sake of others. Do you realize, you do not, let me just answer my own question, you do not realize 
I'm sorry, man, I'm like going crazy today. You do not realize how influential you are. I'd ask for somebody else. We've got role models over here, man. This pastor's supposed to be examples. Man, people that are real high up in my workplace, people are looking to them, not me. Moms, you have so much influence in your home. Your children are with you hours upon hours upon hours. And it's not just, it's not just mothers, it's fathers. It's brothers and sisters, it's friends and roommates. It's neighbors, it's your community group. It's, you will influence others. This is inescapable. The question is, how will you influence them? How will you influence them? If you display the life of God through living a life of love and living a life of light, you will inspire others just by the very way you are living your life. And this is what happened when God grabs a hold of someone's heart. You're part of a city within a city. This is what happens when God grabs a hold of a, of, of a bunch of people's hearts that, that come together to be a church in a place like this. We're, we're a city within a city. Let's wield our influence for the sake of others and for the sake of pointing to the greater light. It is a joy. Man, it is a joy. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful that these people listen to the sometimes seemingly ramblings of a madman. But God, you, you animate us. You, you make us excited about truth. You, you show us how, man, so, so many times we fail to point to the light. God, we pray that you would compel us as we look to you, you who are the true light, as we look to Christ, his cross, that you would show us the better path that we would walk in your ways. And God, that we would be uh, so compelled by the light of Christ, your light, that we would have great influence, great influence on all those around us. God, change us, show us how that we can be people of action, people of resolve, people that make a difference. This is our prayer in Christ's name.